right. I love that song. I, uh, I sang it when I was a young Christian, still enjoy singing it uh, a lot. And it got, uh, made an impact on me even in a, in a greater way, singing this verse, There is Beyond the Azure Blue. We're, uh, we're continuing our series on drawing near to God that we began in, uh, in January and continuing on, you know, actually probably for several months. The, um, the focus is on there's a God and we can draw near to him, but w- what a God he is. Uh, last night after I, I worked on, on this lesson and was digging into the scriptures and kind of going over some of the things, personalizing it in my own life of, about what uh, I was trying to present to all of us this morning, I, uh, I, I decided to watch a, a little bit of TV and went to Netflix and looked for something that could be inspirational. And I found a, um, yeah, I, I found a show, a documentary called One Strange Rock. Anybody discovered it? Will Smith actually sort of helps narrate it. And they focus on eight different astronauts that have gone up into, uh, into space and look at Earth from... Uh, that point of view that is very dramatic. And this whole series, uh, this beginning series was about that thin blue line, that azure blue line that is our atmosphere and how dramatically amazing, crazy it is how everything, all these intricate things that are going on in Ethiopia or in the Antarctica or, you know, in, in the Amazon rainforest, how they all work together at the, the very bottom of the ocean, these tiny microscopic, you know, beings, and it's all working together to give us a thin layer of oxygen so we can take our next breath. It's just, it's just amazing. And I just got, you know, when I finished out, I just, before I went to bed, I really, I just got down just spontaneously on my knees before God and said, God, you're like amazing. You're just amazing. Take a breath. You may take about 16 of them in the next minute. And you know, it's good stuff you're breathing in, in spite of, you know, some of the other stuff floating around. Yeah, you know, there is a God. He is alive. And we can draw near to him and talk to him and pray to him. Is that just not out of this world? If you stop to really think about it, who we are, a little piece of dust, you know, and and yet we're created, God said, in his image, created to live with him forever. And so we're talking this month about prayer, how to draw near to God in prayer. We're looking at two um, uh, examples in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. Uh, Jeff started us out last week on powerful prayers, and he was in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Today, the focus is on 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, but really when you go back and you read over this, you just got to look through this material, even, even if you're familiar with it, but I bet you haven't spent a lot of time in it recently. But actually start in chapter, uh, start in chapter 16 where uh, you've got Jehoshaphat, he's our central character this morning, where Jehoshaphat's father, who is not a good king, you know, and the prophet is, it says this remarkable thing in chapter 16 and verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord 
rove and range throughout the earth looking for someone whose heart is completely devoted to him to show himself strong on his behalf. So as it were, God is on scan, you know, today and every day, and he's looking for a heart that is completely his. That's pretty dramatic. Jehoshaphat makes a pretty good start, you know, at this. And so I want to invite you to turn over to... um, to 2 Chronicles, and we're going to start off in chapter 17, but we'll spend most of our time in, uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 20. Now, uh, why, why pray, okay? Why pray? You know, that, that's a decent question to, to sort of think about. We've got a smaller group this morning because several hundred of us are at the marriage retreat. They're having a great time, okay? They're fellowshipping, they're encouraging, and I'm sure they're praying as well. But there was a group in Acts chapter 1 of just about 120 people, maybe a little bit less than what we have here this morning, that joined in prayer, and that place rocked, and the Holy Spirit came down, and a powerful thing, you know, as God's kingdom was ushered in, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, not only to be upon men, but actually have an opportunity to to, to dwell within men as they made their decision for Christ. The uh, prayer is powerful. Abraham's servant prayed, and uh, Rebekah appeared. Jacob wrestled with God and received an amazing blessing. Hannah prayed, and Samuel was born. David prayed, and one of his arch enemies hanged himself. Hezekiah prayed, and Isaiah, they prayed together, and 186 thousand Assyrians were slain in a single day. Elijah prayed and a little child was raised up. The disciples prayed and Peter was miraculously delivered from prison and it goes on and on and Nehemiah prayed and the heart of the the king was moved and God worked in a tremendous way. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. Whether you and I believe it or not, there is so much power that we have available through God's Spirit in us when we pray. But it's not just because you and I think that's true or we feel it from time to time, but the record of Scripture is clear. Prayer is powerful, and God can move in ways you you, you can't even imagine. There's a, there's a, a, a passage in the New Testament that reflects back on one of, these, one of these times, these dramatic prayers. Elijah, you know, was troubled by what he saw in his culture and in his country and the way it was going. But he saw a promise of God that said, you know, if you pray fervently and earnestly, God could even withhold the rain. And so he prays, the Bible says, passionately and earnestly, and it stops raining for three years. And then, you know, he prays again, and it does rain. And all this starts, okay, it's this reflection back in the Old Testament. It says, is any of you in trouble? He's writing to us, like here today. Is there anybody in trouble? Anybody got an issue? Anybody have something you're concerned about? What does the Bible tell us to do? To pray. And God can and will and so often does move in an amazing way. But, you know, the, uh, James anticipates what we're going to think sometimes. Yeah, but Elijah was a prophet. And so James, by inspiration of God's Spirit, says that Elijah was a what? Man or woman just like us. Just like us. 
That, that same kind of power and prayer is available, you know, for all of us. If God answered Elijah's prayer, God can answer our prayers, you know. Now, we may not be able to pray exactly in the same way as Elijah here because we may not have revealed, you know, revelation from God specifically for a, a specific task like we have here, but we do have the same right to expect God to move on our behalf and on behalf of our families and our church and our country. Jesus said, pray, you know, and don't give up. And he gave parables about that. And Paul said to pray without ceasing. You know, we know these passages. God, we know it. God answers prayer very specifically. And I believe very specifically and very directly. You ever had any, any dramatic answered prayers in your life? Now, we have all kinds of, 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 of what we call everyday answers to prayer. They're still dramatic, but they may not have, you know, be, be, be dramatic in their consequences or the, what we're facing. But uh, we, we, people have write prayer journals, and they write down, they try to remember what happened. I, I was thinking about several of these in, in, in my own life, but I decided to go share about, um, you know, something that I just found out uh, last Sunday. You tired of talking about the Super Bowl yet? <laughs> yeah, I kind of am, okay? At least until the Falcons get in it next year, and then I'll wake up, you know, again. But uh, th there was, I'm going to remember this Super Bowl um, for one specific, fairly dramatic reason. I, I was ambivalent going into the Super Bowl last week, and people were asking me who, who I was rooting for. I wasn't exactly sure. I'd lived out in L.A., Kelly and I, for a lot of years, 15, 20 years, but we also spent three wonderful years in Boston, and then we have more Boston fans in our church than L.A. fans. I didn't want to disappoint you. And so I, I, I was ambivalent, to tell you the truth, okay? And, uh, but that changed. It changed right in the back of this aisle, you know, right after uh, the first service. And there I... Uh, I saw somebody that uh, I knew, but they were in a different kind of, you know, time and place and, and costume, and uh, I didn't recognize them at first, but it ended up being a sister from, from Boston. Her name is, is, is Jenna. And Jenna was standing there, and she, uh, she was standing with somebody I didn't know. She had her Patriot jersey on, and uh, she introduced me to her mom, Jenny, who was there also from Boston, and she uh, and I said, "Wow, well, that's great! So you're back, you're down here for some Super Bowl parties?" And said, "Yeah, what we planned on doing is uh, my my brother, my younger brother, uh, died, you know, a while ago, and um, I think a couple years ago. And it had always been our goal and dream to go to the Super Bowl. And he was a huge uh, Patriots fan. And in fact, my mom is wearing his jersey here here today. I said, "Well, that's that, that's wonderful. It's so great to have, you know, you to have you here." And um, they said, uh, you know, um, I said, well, I'm glad you're here. I hope you have a good, good time at whatever party you're going to. And she said, you know, my mom has been, been, been praying uh, to God, you know, that, that she would, um, that he would open up the door for her to come and for our family to come to a Super Bowl and to spread my brother's ashes. You know, there, of course, obviously, of New England is in the game. I said, wow, that's very touching, you know, and I was just, you know, found out about how her brother had died, and, uh, and so my mom said, you just have to pray, and God will give us Super Bowl tickets. 
And you know, I mean, you know, what do you do when your mom says that to you, okay? Yep. Okay, I'm going to pray. So Jenna prayed and she immediately started applying to every website under heaven that could possibly give away Super Bowl tickets, you know, like that one in 10 billion, you know, chance, you know, that you might have. And so, uh, you know, as time went on, it's two or three days from the game and, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're going. Uh, Jenna bought her tickets, you know, to come, come down there and uh, said, well, at least we can enjoy the game. And then two days before the Super Bowl, she found out from Gronkowski. Anybody know Gronkowski? Okay, New England Patriots and his website that she uh, had won two all-expense-paid tickets to Atlanta t- and Super Bowl tickets. And uh, she called her mom and dad, they came down. Dad got to watch it in a sports bar somewhere. But <laughs> Jenna and Jenny then go to the Super Bowl and they, they have this moment where over the weekend they're able to offer up their, 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 their young brother and son's uh, ashes to God. Um, I just like, at that point, go Patriots! You know, I became a Patriots fan right there. I, I would just, I like kind of just blew me away. That what am I saying? This is not the idea of prayer so you get tickets to a concert under the Super Bowl. I don't know how all of this works, do you? But I do know when we pray fervently, humbly before God, bringing before him our needs and sometimes even our crises in our life, there is a God beyond the azure blue who is not asleep or in the bathroom, but is there caring and loving and serving us. And I bet you got some dramatic stories yourself too, sometimes that you're even a little reticent to share, you know, with, you know, with other people. Here's the thing though, that I really want us to, do, to, to look at when we talk about, when we talk about this text. Um, what I'd like to zero in on, though, is what happens just in these next few minutes when you get in crisis and when you have something that's deeply troubling you as a person or as, or as a family or you're looking over your, your culture or your country, maybe even, you know, maybe even your church. And, and we meet this... Uh, this man, Jehoshaphat, who's a king. Now, I want to really ask you, open up your Bible and to read this week, if you haven't already, 17 through 20. And you're going to be able to discover Jehoshaphat, he's a good man. His dad, not so much, but he's a good man. He's seeking God. He was a good king. He was able to lead Judah in this divided kingdom. You know, the kingdom had been divided after the reign of David, and there was Israel to the north that really didn't take seriously God's commands very much at all. And in the south, they were more conservative, you know, and tried to follow you know, God's laws in, in, in a more committed way. And Jehoshaphat's a good king. He does reforms. He is a piece of work, though, because he is flawed, just like David and Elijah and other great men of God. And so you got to read chapter 19. It's one of the more humorous chapters in the entire Bible, you know, and you can see Josephat's a good, you know, a good, a good man, but he can really be naive. And for you veterans, there's a statement that was made back in the 1950s TV, jump in Jehoshaphat, okay? And that's where it came from, you know, this kind of incident in 19. But don't, don't spend time flipping back there. You can do that on your own, okay? But he, he, he's a good man. 
even though he has, he has some flaws, you know, in, in his life. He runs up against a very challenging time, and it's in, in, in Second, uh, Second Chronicles chapter, uh, chapter 20. There is a crisis, okay? The word comes back to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, that, that three dire enemies, particularly those Moabites and the Ammonites and Minyanites, have come to wage war. And against him, and they come up and they give the report, and they're only a few miles away. It, it, it's dire, it's dramatic, and what uh, you know? What do you do as a king? You know, the news is a vast army, a huge army is there. The kingdom is in peril. Now this is crisis time, and everybody in their life hits a crisis. Okay, some. Are, are large, some are smaller, and the question comes up, what, uh, what do we do in these, kind of, in these kinds of situations? It's, it's a pretty decisive, you know, moment. This tells you a lot about yourself. What you and I do when we're faced with something, a real big, significant issue and problem, what do we instinctively do? Is it worry? anxiety? Is it fear? Is it just somehow scrambling, you know, to look at our resources? And, and this is the king of a very strong nation. It's very prosperous right now. The natural thing is, let's call, let's call the generals as soon as I fire the CIA or whoever my intelligence people are, that they could get this close to us here. Let's get the generals together. Let's figure out a battle plan and let's go after it. That would be the very natural thing, you know, to be able to to, to do. What does Jehoshaphat do? Alarmed, it says. It's not a little issue. Alarmed, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. Veterans, does that remind you of anybody else in the Bible who constantly was inquiring of the Lord when they ran in, when he ran into problems? Yes, it was David, a man also after God's own heart. And so Jehoshaphat immediately talks to God and he humbles himself before God, and look at this, he calls a fast, he proclaims a fast for the entire country, that we're all going to fast together and to pray, and they all came together, all of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord, they came from every single town. Do you see this is not just a military solution? Jehoshaphat says, we got a problem, I'm gathering my people together to fast and pray. That sound like you and me? When we run into a, a, a tough situation, you pull your close friends together or the people you have influence on, you fast, you pray, you work together, you know, on this. It, this is really a, um, you know, a pivotal point, and th this is something that is, that is exceptionally important for all of us. Um, it, if the service is a little longer, we let you look right in your, your Bible there in second. Uh, Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 6 through 11 and let you read the prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a powerful prayer. If your eyes are scanning it, you know, you know right now, you'll see there, there's a strong commitment and faith in God's character. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. That's in verse 6. And then there's faith in God's promises in verse 7. Didn't you drive out the inhabitants of this land and you, you, you gave this to your people, Israel? And then there is this powerful humility 
that's there. We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Andrew, you may have to help me with this. I'm like, uh, it's, I'm not, there you go, okay? And all of Judah comes with, uh, with the moms and the dads and the children and the little ones. And they stand before God and they, they pray together. There's this tremendous humility. I think that uh, it, 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 it's certainly true that a lack of prayer in my life, in your life, reveals a lot of things. But maybe one of the principal things that it reveals, if you look at your prayer life or mine, and you see it stale, it's rote, it's just, you know, you're in a rut, you're in a habit, it's not growing, it's not dynamic, you're not sharing it with more and more, more people. And let's face it, we all get there. This is a journey, it's a process of growing in our life. But when this happens, probably as much as anything, it reveals a lack of humility in my life and your life about really understanding who is in control. And if we go immediately to worry and anxiety and trying to figure something out or, you know, uh, or sometimes we just get numb and cover up and deny it and, you know, just kind of crawl into a fetal position, okay, what, 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 what we're not doing is truly humbling ourselves before God. And, I mean, it could be your adult children, because we do pray for our adult children and our not-so-adult children. And so many times, we just got to take them before God. And continually, and, 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 and marshal our close friends to be able to pray with us. We do that as a church, don't we? Because our children are important to us. Or maybe it's a, 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 an illness that gets into to our life. Or maybe it's thinking about, wow, this, this generosity Sunday goal of, uh, of, of giving more than, well, at least as much as we gave last year. But, but, but this strong goal, wow, we just gonna, got, got to pray about this. Or when you think about... Five million people in Atlanta and as a church wanting to lock arms and commit to try to win as many as possible and not just be a nice growing church, but a church that impacts our city and our communities and our world. Oh, who needs to pray on, uh, on that? I was talking to uh, one of the young men that, um, that I coach and mentor and disciple as an, older, as an older man and minister. And we were talking about, you know, some of the people that he's close to and that he's helping train and disciple as well. And he was asking my advice about how to help in a couple of situations with, with, with helping uh, a couple of guys grow in their character. And um, I said, okay, uh, well, first, before I give you my, my, my thoughts on that, let me ask you this. How often do you pray for these young men? They pause for a minute. And these are good friends of his. He goes, well, I, a couple times a week. I said, okay, this is my advice to you. Okay, you start praying for them every single day. Do you pray for your wife every day? Yeah, I do. Do you pray for ex, you know, some other people? Yes. Add these two or three uh, men and then let God give you wisdom on how to help them, and even if you don't have any wisdom, they'll still grow because the power of prayer is flowing through you and into their lives. And then I'm happy next week I'll give you a couple ideas. 
okay? But dude, this is like really important, you know, like with our kids and with our church and, you know, and, you know and with each other to think about this in, in my life, in your life, and in your community, and in your family group, you know, to, to think about, first of all, going to God in prayer. This is a dramatic, powerful thing. A second Chronicles chapter 20, it's exactly what one of the more powerful men on earth, exactly what he decides to do be able to uh, to do let's go to that uh, let's go to the next slide because i think this may not be working for me you know here and whose battle is it anyway is that a good question whose battle is this you know the uh, uh, there's a prophet that's on the scene and after jehoshaphat has already said this and, and praise god for the prophets and ministers in our life you see them all scattered in through in chapter 18 19 and 20 giving jehoshaphat the king some help you know, in his spiritual life and his direction. And so, uh, you know, this prophet tells him, okay, here are three things you want to do, okay? Tomorrow, you're going to march down and meet your enemies. You're going to take up your positions, but you're not going to have to fight. Stand still, and you'll see the salvation of God. That, that, that is an amazing thing that, uh, you know, that, that, that Jehoshaphat's told. And if you, uh, if, if you look in verse 17, there again, I'm kind of going fast and not looking at my Bible because I got one eyeball that I can't see out of, and so it's kind of blurry, as is your face. But other than that, you got, you, you got your Bible, and you can read along you know, with this. And, and beginning in verse 17, and Jehoshaphat bows down to the ground, and all Judah falls to the ground. And then the Levites get up, and they start praising God in a loud voice. This is the most amazing thing. In this battle, they're just told to go up and take their positions and wait on God, and the choir leads the way. If you start looking in your Bible, they start singing, they start praising, and it's the choir that's out there leading out, leading out the army. This is one of the weirdest battle plans since Jericho, honestly. Okay, but this is what God, you know, revealed for them to do. It's just an, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And here's what the Bible says, beginning in, uh, if we go to the next slide, as soon as they began to sing and pray, there's this eerie silence that, that usually happens before any great battle where people are kind of like thinking about their life and maybe they're saying a prayer and they're getting themselves ready. This was not silent time. You know, these enemies of God hear this singing and, and this praising God and they're marching out. These, these guys could get slaughtered except for God moving. As soon as they began to sing and pray, God set ambushes and these guys end up killing each other. It's just an amazing, dramatic, dramatic, you know, thing. This is, uh, here, here's where I want to, you know, kind of end here because I think the guys are probably going to be coming up here in a minute. Let's go to the next slide. What I want you to notice as you keep doing your reading, this is the battle plan in 2 Chronicles 20. These are the words that are coming again and again. You can underline them in your Bible as you read. Fasting, bowing, falling down, praising, marching, singing, praising, temple, cheering, rejoicing, thanking. It's amazing. And you know, you know, what, you know what happens as you continue to read on, if we go to this next slide, it, after this battle, 
they praised God and they rejoiced before the crisis. They worshiped God and praised him during the crisis. And then Jehoshaphat called them all back together and they worshiped God and they praised God after the crisis. Worship wasn't just preparation for getting out and doing stuff. Worship actually unleashed the power of God and it still happens to our day. Lessons learned. Hey, if you or I are in trouble today or tomorrow, admit in humility our condition. We can't do this on our own. Number two, stop complaining and start praising God. Singing, thanking God for the thin blue line or whatever you got in your life that you can be really grateful for. It's this power of praise and then stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They won a battle they never fought. I believe absolutely my heart, mind, soul, and strength, that there are many battles that we've won without fighting them in the course of our life that God has handled for us. And there will be more to come if we stay humble before our God. The result, fear of, uh, you know, the enemies of God, feared then God and respected him more. There was peace and there was rest. How do you like to have some more peace and rest. Let's continue drawing near to God, whether it's fasting or praying, because we have a God who is alive. Go back and take a look in Second Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20, and see if you can't capture this passion and the vision and the powerful prayers, you know, that, uh, y- y- that, that, that shaped a nation at that point and have such amazing impact in, uh, in our lives. Do you hear God singing to you? Okay, because he's there. He's singing, and let's sing back. Let's stand up and close out our service in song. <laughs>